Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Writer-producer. That's actually how I started back in what is now the INSP network uh, back in the late 70s. And I started out as a writer, and then later on, they didn't have, you know, within a month, they didn't have anybody to produce. Right. Uh, and they say, hey, well, congratulations, you're a producer now. Oh, okay. So you go produce the uh, promo in the spot. Okay, I will. And I just said yes, and then I went down into the, the bowels of the... Uh, the the basement of of INSP in the studio and I just asked the engineers how do I put this together and right. it just came from a script tell people tell viewers that don't understand especially in the television world more more than I would say the film world writer producer is uh, a, a very distinct uh, career and it is an occupation and a role right they, they sometimes refer in the trade magazines in Hollywood to people that are writer-producer or writer-director-producer uh, as hyphenates mm -hmm. <laughs> because there's a hyphen between writer and producer uh, that precedes your name usually. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the genesis of that is, um, is, you know, comes from the way a staff of a television show is put together. So as I mentioned earlier, sort of the low man on the totem pole is the story editor. Actually, there is one, there's a, there's a role even lower than that in the writing room called term writer, uh, which is the very beginning, beginnings of a writer's, uh, staff writing career. And the, the more longevity you have sticking with the show, or, uh, even if you go from show to show to show, you usually get a promotion if if they want you, you usually get a promotion each with each year that you 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 know you work on a show or on a series of shows. So you go from you know term writer to story editor to executive story editor. The next jump gets you a producer in your title, and that that's to co-producer. And then you get a producer title, and then you get a supervising producer title, and then you get a co-executive producing title, and then finally you get an executive producer title. So when you see 15 executive producers on the credits of a television show, it's usually because those people have been around for a long time, and uh, even if they're not the head writer, usually the head, uh, the head writer of any show is the kind of first position executive producer, and then there's three or four more executive producers, which means they're just veteran writers who've had tons of years of experience. Uh, when I, you know, started working on my first TV show in 1990 as a staff writer, I was a, a story editor. Um, I <clears throat> I put in now since then uh, about I guess close to well I guess it's 14 seasons now of what you call writing staff. So you're on the staff, the writing staff of a TV show. And as you go up the, the food chain, you know, you keep adding these titles. Now, it doesn't, they're not vanity titles, uh, because each year you get more and more responsibility. You get involved more in the casting of a show. 
get more involved in approving wardrobe, in approving sets. Uh, you know, ultimately in television, the head writer of any TV show, that's where the buck stops uh, on all decisions. Uh, in television, everybody works for the writing staff. The cast, the director, the crew, you know, everybody works for the writing staff on a TV show. Um, it's a little different in feature films, but on a TV show, it's the writing staff that controls everything. So, you know, the director even, you know, uh, reports to the, the head writer of a TV show. Uh, the, the head writer or the writing staff has, has the final cut of, of each episode, right, in the editing room. Okay. So all of those, all of those skill sets and those additional responsibilities fall to the writing staff of the television show. In the feature world, there are a number of different producers. Usually an executive producer is somebody who's bringing the, some money or net, or influence or distribution to the project. Um, in my case, uh, the film, you know, I have a film coming out in September, uh, September 18th, uh, called Captive that I wrote and I'm an executive producer on along with Ralph Winter. Ken Wales is a producer on that movie. There are several people sort of in the faith-based space who, um, you know, are some level of producer on that, on that film. It's a little different in the film world in that the director sort of the buck stops with the director on a film set. Um, even though a director is hired by the, the producers, he, you know, the director still has ultimate sort of say, uh, on what happens all the way through to their final cut. And then ultimately it's the dis distributor who will, will, you know, have final cut unless, you know, it's Steven Spielberg directing. Um, the, uh, so the, it's a, you know, the pecking order is different on a film. There's, you know, line producers on films who are the logistical nut, nuts and bolts kind of producers. Then there's the first position, you know, producers guild of America producer who's really the, you know, sort of all the creative elements of the show have to run through that person. Sure. Sure. He's a little bit like the head writer. Uh, on, on a on a television show, so I don't know if that answers your question, but oh, that's, that's excellent. Yeah, and and most people went. The number one question that's asked of me in any seminar uh, anywhere in the world uh, is, "What is a producer?" And I think it's mostly because people immediately understand what a writer does. They write a script, yep. and they and they know what a director does. But when they see, like you talked about, Brian, when they see fifteen uh, producers. When, when I worked on the, the Amazing Race, we had 26 producers. Right. 26. In wow. fact, there were so many that uh, the Emmys uh, said, okay, as far as uh, Emmy nominations, you've got to stop at 16 now. That's just right. too many. Right. Uh, because you, you've gone way past what we normally would have. And it's because right. one producer may just, on the Amazing Race, handle one country. They just handle the country of Romania. And make yeah, sure that when the like race six, comes six. through uh, Romania, that everything is taken care of for the two, three days that they're there before the the entire operation moves on to another place. Right. So uh, your explanation of, of producing is mm -hmm. is an excellent one. Interesting conversation with writer producer Brian Bird. We'll be back in 32 seconds. Mm -hmm.
This podcast features engaging conversations with leaders, artists, and creatives sharing about current trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. Today's episode is produced by Matchstick Media International, a nonprofit that's passionate about inspiring both visionary leaders and young creatives to harness the power of media to further the gospel. To learn more, visit us at matchstickmedia.org. Now, back to Craig. We're talking to Brian Bird here on the on the podcast. You can find some great screenwriting advice. And also, Brian is excellent as a cultural commentator. I, I like some of the things that you have to say about uh, not only the industry, but society at large and where we are in media. It's some very good reading. Uh, and I would point any of you listening to the podcast today or tonight to uh, go to brianbird.net. And then also, uh, Brian can be found on Facebook and Twitter at brbird. Uh, closing up, maybe just a couple more questions here with Brian. If you were going to give advice to someone coming up uh, through the ranks, and part of the problem is, is you also get, uh, you know, Jim from Albuquerque, who's ready to to pile everything into his car with his dog and and head off to Hollywood to become uh, famous, rich and famous, and and a screenwriter. And you know, you better be called to that, like you've talked about earlier in our in our interview. What advice would you give to someone, anyone listening? regarding the industry, uh, screenwriting? What what would you say that would be helpful to them? <clears throat> well, that's, yeah, absolutely. Beyond my copy of The Master, which is the, the first thing I would reinforce there uh, with everybody, uh, which we talked about earlier, um, is this. Uh, you know, everybody, every, everybody and his brother in the dig- digital age wants to be uh, in the movie business. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Right? Um, yeah. It's uh, because the cost of admission uh, has come down so much lower in terms of the gear, the cameras, the be- you know beautiful digital cameras and all of the gear, you know, the, the price of admission has come way down. Um, the, uh, the, the challenge with that, however, is that you can, you know, I can turn on a camera. I'm not a cinematographer or a camera operator, but I can turn on the camera and get a nice shot. Right? Sure. There are so such great pieces of equipment that almost anybody can turn on a camera and get a nice shot. Uh, my, you know, my caution, and I, and I do, you know, speak you know, frequently in, at, at Christian colleges or other campuses, you know, guest lectures. Um, you know, one of the things that I've done is is go into a class and say, okay, uh, all of you who are screenwriters, raise your hand and leave your hands up. And so a few hands go up and I say, okay, who, who here is a director? Now that some more hands go up, producer, more hands, cinematographer, more hands, costume designer, production designer. By, by the time I'm done asking, there are, you know, all the hands in the classroom are raised. And then I said, okay, now I want you to put all of your hands down because none of you are any of those things until someone pays you a salary to do them. Now, I'm not saying that people do it yourself kind of movie making isn't a fantastic thing to do and experimenting and learning your craft. Um, But it takes, as Malcolm Gladwell said in his book, uh, outliers, which everybody should read. 
you can be you can be a genius, but it still takes you ten thousand hours to become an expert. And unless you are willing to put in all that hard work until some and until somebody's willing to hire you to do it, you can't really say you're a movie maker. You might be making home movies and putting them up on YouTube, and they might be the greatest thing in the world. But until somebody, you have a breakthrough and somebody hires you to do it, very hard to to justify that as being part of you know the, the movie making business. Again, I'm not saying don't experiment to your heart's content and put your 10,000 hours in uh, absolutely trying to get better at what you do. Um, so it, it's sort of, again, that, that double-edged sword. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> That's true. Right? Because not everybody has the same skill set. And just because YouTube gives everybody a platform to get their content, you know, seen by, you know, uh, as many people as possible, uh, doesn't mean anything. It's most of his it noise. It's cultural noise. Uh, it's not gifted at all. You know, some guy who pulls his pants down, uh, and scratches his rear end and gets seven million hits. That's, that's not anything. It's noise. Uh, so it's a wonderful democratization of, of film and TV to have these opportunities to not only write and direct and produce your own material and then get your own distribution through YouTube or, or Vimeo or some of these other sites. It's, it's fantastic. It's a revolution. But just like Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park, watching the velociraptors feed on a goat and tearing the thing apart, and it's just nothing but a chaotic scene of these trees, you know, <laughs> and bushes rustling and this carnivorous activity happening. He's shaking his head looking at this and saying, just because you can clone Velociraptors doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So I think I think for young people coming up, experiment like nobody's, you know, like there's no tomorrow. That's fantastic. But earn your stripes. Get good enough to be in the symphony. Don't just be good enough to be in a garage band. You have to aspire to be in the symphony. You have to be, you have to aspire to be better than Steven Spielberg. You've got to set that as your goal and learn from the masters, copy the masters in order to get better than the master. That's still the best absolute way of excelling and, uh, put the 10,000 hours in that you need to perfect your skills and to become an expert at what you do. Superb advice. My last question is the one I always ask at the end of the podcast to everybody. Is there something, Brian, that uh, I haven't asked or a last thought that you want to uh, to leave? In inspirational, instructional, whatever it might be, what would it be? Yeah, um, it's this. In, in, the, in the film and TV business, there is no conspiracy to destroy the family. And I hear this all the time from people in the church saying, oh, it's the cultural civil war and we're, and it's, it's a, um, you know, they're trying to destroy our families. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's a conspiracy to make money. That's the only conspiracy that exists. And that also exists at IBM and General, you know, General Mills and GM and, uh, all the Christian bookstores out there as well. You can't operate. At a, at a loss. So it's a conspiracy to make money. The people that are making the decisions 
about what to put on film, you know, what movies to make and what shows to put on television. They're just bringing their own worldview to the table. They are the gatekeepers. And the, the Hollywood golden rule applies to those people. He who has the gold makes the rules, right? Exactly. So if, if we as believers want to be part of this giant media conversation and have an influence, we have to be in those chairs. We have to become the gatekeepers. We have to acquire the influence, Solomon-like influence, to be able to make the decisions to affect the culture. And anything short of that, we're just all you know, flapping our gums and whining and um, being back, you know, Sunday morning quarterbacks, backseat drivers. It, it's, it, it's absolutely not a conspiracy to destroy us. It just so happens that the people making the decisions don't have the same value system that we do. So we need to put ourselves in the, into the, in, into those places and encourage each other and, uh, and honestly become kind of like a mafia <laughs> and have each other's backs as opposed to a ghetto. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent advice. Very inspiring and very, uh, very cogent and sharp. Excellent. We've, uh, we're finishing up our time here with Brian Bird, who uh, is a professional uh, screenwriter and producer, both for film and for television, and has done everything from comedies to dramas, and has been a great guest. Brian, I want to thank you. We want to thank you for an interesting interview and a great time with you. Thanks, Craig. Honored, honored to be with you, and, and uh, love, I love sharing uh, you know, my experiences with folks, and, and hopefully they can you know, benefit uh, from some shortcuts from all the mistakes that I've made <laughs> along the way and don't have to fall into some of the traps that I've had to. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.